Hi, welcome to the cottage. We are a lively outpouring of an exciting adventure into God's riches and glories in Christ Jesus. We really work to activate an excitement for the kingdom of God as it is in the now until it comes into its fullness. We invite you to our sessions to explore the heights and depths of God's love in a fuller bandwidth. I'm Dr. Ken, the pastor of a small independent church seeking to return to the Lord's zeal in times where apathy and lethargy rule the day of the complacent. We try to shake things up and offer a temporary home as we travel this sod until we reach higher ground and connect into the everlasting life from above, here on the earth as it is in heaven. For more information, you can email us at thecottage at dken.cc. That is thecottage at dken.cc. Welcome back to the cottage. We're still in our series on Joel, but we want to step outside and go to a New Testament passage and visit a portion of Romans chapter 8 in light of the prophecy of Joel. So we hope you enjoy this. We hope you're enjoying our series. Let's recap. Now, we've been talking about the prophecy of Joel. And in Joel, we have the uh, threats. So chapter 1 is the immediate threat of the locust plague. And you can go back to our previous episodes where we fully describe that. And yet, as we move into Joel chapter 2, we have an imminent threat, the day of the Lord. And it's all about the responses. And so, the key is, they've already experienced this locust plague. And this locust plague is designed then, okay, this locust plague is then designed to let them see that they are eaten up as a society and that God has allowed this to happen to them in order to see how they respond. If they respond well, then they can avoid the imminent threat of God personally coming to visit to fix the situation. So first, he uses the creation to speak to them in ways to bring about them to get in the position of where they repent. We talked about that, like the response of 911 and how Americans returned to the Lord in droves back to churches. Uh, and that was a response to a national crisis. And we're looking for the same response here. And so that's what we see as we get down to Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. The Opportunity to respond with supplication and intercession and turning to God. So we've already done all of this in our previous episodes, and this is just a recap of where we've been. Therefore, Joel 2, verses 18 to 27, was a repentance for God's people that brings about God's restoration as they turn to God. Second Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, you know, ter- learn of God's ways again, you know, go back to those ancient ways that we talked about in Jeremiah. Then will I hear from heaven, and then will I heal their land. And so we have this, as the people turn to God, like the prodigal son, then God turns to the people and meets them on their way, and they avoid chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, that judgment. And then it's a renewal. Life is renewed and received. Uh, Once again, they receive God's life. 
and what they lost in the locust is going to be restored to them, and they avert the imminent threat of God coming down there to judge them, that the judgment of God is going to fall upon evil, and if they are still evil, then God will deal with them. And we did passages in Jeremiah 18, and we also went to Ezekiel. Uh, For instance, there's chapter 3, chapter 18, chapter 33, examples of that, where how God deals with those who are wicked and those who are righteous, and when they turn from either, how God in turn responds and their response. So go back to listen to all those episodes, and that will catch you up. Then we moved into our current section of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to the end of the prophecy. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, this is actually a separate chapter, chapter 3. And then what we have normally in the Old Testament Bibles of chapter 3 is in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 4. And it's the prophecy of a cosmic renewal whereby God does come and he is going to bring his justice. But his justice is looped in with the mercy for those who have repented There's this renewal of all things, and the entire creation is renewed. But for that which evil refuses to repent, the unrepentant, it becomes a problem. And so, in this situation, those who were the sinners in chapter 1, those who have responded to God's cry, that voice in the wilderness we've been working out of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the same that John modeled in his ministry ahead of Jesus' coming. Notice in the New Testament, Jesus comes and John the Baptist is calling for repentance the same way that Joel prophesied. And so these sinners who have repented now join with God in all of creation, God's fight against evil in this world. And so we talked about it like the forgiven go out and offer God's forgiveness and bring healing to the world. Those who were broken, God, by grace, makes them even greater than they were before they sinned, is how we kind of coined that. And they, in turn, as God uh, turned away from bringing about chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 upon them, because they turned, then God turned. Now they turn toward the world, and those who repent are fine, and they give them CPR. They offer them life to the dead. They breathe in the life of God themselves, and then they breathe it out into a person who is in need, offering them CPR. Okay, This is how we have described it, to give them life, and then they come back to life. But the unrepentant, obviously, will not have this mercy because they refuse to repent and they continue in their sin. And that's the problem. And so the responses of the cosmic renewal, mercy is to the lost who are now found, and they are found now to be in faith and start walking in faithfulness. And they are justified. But then they go out And they bring justice to all those who wish to receive this life and repent and join them. And all of those sinners that were uh, opposing God in chapter 1, who have repented, now join with God and all of creation in bringing about justice. And then, of course, the unrepentant, they are going to be offered this mercy, but because they don't repent, they can't participate in God's mercy, and it's a two-edged sword, and so the justice that comes upon them, God wants to justify them. I want to share with you a special quote from 
Douglas Knight that I always am enthralled with in how God initially, initially had us at creation. And I want you to see the initial thing with Douglas Knight. And then we're going to roll right on into Romans chapter 8. Old Testament scholar Douglas Knight describes it like this. Yahweh creates the world according to something in the Hebrew called tzedakah, which is righteousness. Let me describe this righteousness using uh, Douglas Knight's uh, words. A principle of moral and cosmic orderliness similar to the Egyptian ma'at. Okay, so this is an ancient idea of orderliness. And Douglas Knight goes on to say, when Sedekah prevails, when this righteousness prevails, the world is at harmony, in a state of well-being, in shalom. You know that word shalom, the Hebrew word for peace, but it's a different kind of peace. It's this cosmological peace. It's this peace that everything is in orderly harmony with God as everything as God intended. An act of sin in the religious sphere or injustice in the social sphere can inject discord and shatter the shalom. Isn't that exciting how Douglas Knight lays this out for us? It then takes a decisive act, he goes on to say, of mishpat, or this justice we're talking about, what Joel is talking about in his entire prophecy to bring mishpat, to bring justice. First, the locust plague, then the people repent, then they get justice. He's restoring. So let's go on with, again, uh, back to Douglas Knight. It then takes a decisive act of mishpat, justice, to restore the shalom and reestablish the tzedakah. This mishpat is, what is it? It's an act of partiality, which is not concerned simply to punish the guilty. We're talking about justice here, the scales of justice. Okay, It's not only to punish the guilty. Notice the sinners in chapter 2 are not punished to the extent because they've repented. They've avoided that punishment. So it's the, the, the punishment is there. They've endured that in chapter 1, but now because they've repented, they avoid further punishment. So this mishpat is an act of partiality, which is not concerned simply to punish the guilty, but to restore the victim. We're also restoring the victim to full participation in community. And I might add that both can be in community, that God's justice longs to make sinners to the point that they can be right with the world, and they are now walking right. So both the guilty and the victim are brought to the same place and are restored both in some sense. Douglas Knight goes on to say, only when all deserving persons enjoy the fullness of life and community can Siddiquah reign. And that's what we're talking about here. Isn't that exciting to understand this? So I know I brought out some Hebrew terminology here, but I wanted you to understand this idea of how this works and what is being offered. God is trying to restore things back to the way he always intended. And I think this is exciting. I think Douglas Knight brings it out best in that quote. Now, moving on as promised to Romans chapter 8, beginning in the 18th verse. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Doesn't this sound a little bit like Joel chapter 1? They're in the locust plague. Doesn't it sound a little bit like what we are enduring now, living in this life post-pandemic, the suffering that we face in this world, and but it cannot, it cannot be compared with the coming glory that is to be revealed in us. But as we keep describing that quote from Paul, the world in the end times is going to wax worse and worse. But Paul also said there in the same place that the godly are to rise up and reveal this glory that goes juxtaposed with and against the tide of the evil in this world. Paul goes on in Romans 8 to say, the, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. They're waiting for the sinners to be restored. They're waiting for the children of God to take on the mantle that God has passed to them. They've gone through the locust plague. Now take on that mantle through repentance and take on God's power to then in chapter 3 join with God and all of creation in bringing about this orderliness that Douglas Knight has so that the scales of justice can be tipped so that both are equalized. That which was hurt can be healed, both in the victim and in the sinner. Amazing, amazing picture here. Going on in chapter 8, we read Paul further, the Apostle Paul saying, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The true liberty, when we become God's children and we are free from the slavery of sin and we are free to do what Douglas Knight just described for us. We are free from chapter 1 so that in our repentance and God's restoration in chapter 2 of Joel's prophecy leads us to join the fight against evil in Joel chapter 3. You see how these dovetail together. Moving on to verse 22 of Romans 8, Paul goes on, for we know that the whole creation groaneth. Of course, you know, the locusts are used. God's using, he cannot use the humans that he put in charge in chapter 1 of Genesis because they are the problem. So therefore he uses the locust because he can't use the humans. But in chapter 2 of Job's prophecy, the humans repent and then join the fight with God in chapter 3, with all of creation, working together with. This is working with God. This is an exciting thing, this synergy of working with God now in chapter 3 to bring about God's justice in this world, that all sinners can repent and be healed, that all victims of these sins also can be healed, and they can both be brought to the same place in God and restored so that we love our enemies. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ in a deep sense that maybe we have failed to understand. Paul goes on, the apostle in Romans 8, And not only are they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. So remember, it's the coming of the Spirit that Paul is talking about. So Jesus came and he saved us like Joel chapter 2, but it's the Holy Spirit who comes that we talked about in 
Jesus' teachings on the Holy Spirit in John 16. Go back to our recent episodes in Joe, how we laid this out for you. Okay, how the Holy Spirit comes and then the sinner is restored and then through the Holy Spirit helps to bring that healing, that forgiveness to others. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We're groaning with creation and along with the Holy Spirit. Okay, notice how Paul is doing this. We are groaning, creation is groaning, and we're with the Spirit, waiting for the adoption to which the redemption of our body. Yes, our body is facing so much and it's decaying and it's, it's under this corruption. It's under what happened in, originally in Genesis 3. When Adam sinned, it brought death, and our bodies are ever dying, such as Paul says we carry about. We're being crucified with Christ, even as our bodies are wasting away. But we're waiting for this renewal, and the only way to go against the tide of this renewal and this decay that's happened since sin brought death into the world, Jesus reverses death through the Spirit, the Spirit that gives us life. Back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God originally took earth, breathed into it, and that earth became earthling. Humus became humanity in the sense that God's breath brought it life, and life comes from the dead. And so the Spirit invigorates us against this decay. Romans 8, again, he's going on, Paul says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? So you don't hope for what you already have. So we're hopeful for this empowerment, this embodiment, that as we take on this mantle of the Holy Ghost now, that the Spirit is just giving us a foretaste of the glory that's coming when we will get our new bodies. But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And we're waiting along with creation for this transformation to take place when Jesus comes out of heaven and heaven and earth become one. But right now, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer, it's here upon the earth, thy kingdom come, thy will be done here upon the earth as it is in heaven. Right now, we're trying to bring as much heaven down here now against the tide of evil that's currently afflicting this world. Paul goes on, he skips down, we're going to skip down to verse 26 now, Romans 8. Paul goes down in 26 and he says, likewise the Spirit, grabbing that Spirit we just talked about, grabbing that Spirit we just talked about, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Again, the Spirit is with us. Creation is groaning, we're groaning, and the Spirit is with us in our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be. A, here the Spirit is groaning with us. The creation is groaning. We're groaning. We're all under sin has brought death, and the Spirit is life, and the Spirit is also with us and participating with us, and we participate with the Spirit. But the Spirit is also praying. So we have perfect prayers being prayed by the Spirit. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to pray. What do we pray? So then the Holy Spirit is praying because we are, when we cannot pray, the Holy Spirit is praying. The Holy Spirit is with us when we cannot utter because this is too much upon us. We either lack the understanding, either our emotions are fried and mentally we're unable to pray or physically we're unable to pray. The Holy Spirit is praying and he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So it's all according to God's design to restore justice, to move us from the plagues in Joel 1's prophecy through the repentance and restoration of Joel 2's prophecy, which is the coming of the Spirit after Christ so that we can step into chapter 3 of Joel's prophecy and we begin to bring about God's will upon this earth, the kingdom rule of God upon this earth, even now as we wait for our coming king. Isn't this exciting how Paul and Joel are modeling this? What Douglas Knight said is the very foundations of what we understand happened in Genesis at the creation. Then we move on to that famous verse, Romans 8.28, we all know, and I want, to, I want to drill down here. And we know that all things work together. Now, all of creation is working together, along with us working together, along with the Spirit working together. Everything is working together for God's good will to them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And I want to turn to the NIV here, and I want to, again, kind of help you sort this out. When Bible translators meet, there are hundreds of scholars and they try their best to work through the original languages to give us what we need. And so the NIV has done something amazing here and has tried to give you three different renderings, which means the scholars were divided in three different ways of how to render the Greek best in the English. And so here's the main text, and that would be the majority of the scholars went for this. And so you see this in the main body of your NIV Bibles that will say Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's what the King James translators went with. That's what the majority of the scholars in NIV, but they put two alternate translations in the footnotes if you look down. And there were a good number of scholars who also felt like that there was another way to render the Greek, two other ways that are powerful. And I want to look at those. One of those ways, it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. And if you get the Net Bible, uh, it has the notes to describe all these discrepancies and why they choose these different translations, because those notes are extensive in the New English translation. I want to look at the third, though, the third, third and this is the third possibility of rendering the Greek, and this is powerful. And I, the scholars who did this, and it could not get this in the main body, but they are definitely saying that the Greek can also. So Greek is tricky to bring over in English, and so you don't get the full sense of it all the time just from one English rendering. And you need to look at it from many different languages uh, you need to look at it from different angles to, to be able to understand the full intensity of what Paul is saying here. And I really like this version, uh, and I really just enjoy how it's saying this. And we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him. God works with us. So it kind of fits with what's going on with Joel chapter 1 the plague, because God can't find anybody, so he sends the plague to try to give them a signal that things are bad in my house as well as the world, so I need you to repent, because judgment begins, Peter says, in the house of God. 
And then in chapter 2, then the people do repent, and there's restoration by God. And then in chapter 3, now I want to work you to work with me. In chapter 3, this is Joel chapter 3's prophecy right here. In all things, God works together with those who love him. God works with us. Remember, it's all creation groaning. It's us groaning. It's the Spirit of God groaning. We're all working together with those who love him to bring about what is good, with those who have been called according to his purpose. And it's all his purpose. And we went back with Douglas Knight to describe to you what that purpose is. Isn't that exciting? Verse 29, back to the King James in Romans 8, For he whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. We're returning back to Genesis chapter 1, where God had created us originally in his image. Now Jesus has come to show us what he always intended humanity to be, which Jesus is God and human in one package, together working, bringing about God's goodness. Aha! that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And once he did this and was born out of the death of the resurrection, we too can also, through new birth, that he described in John 3, as we've been laying out for you in this series on Joel, that we might also be the sons of God that they're waiting to be revealed. That's what he's waiting for us, to be born again so that we can repent from our Joel 1 situation, even as Christians, because Joel chapter 1 is, is speaking to believers, and they have need of repenting. And then they do repent, and God restores. And so when we repent, then God restores us, but then he causes us to go out and seek that same repentance in others. And that's what Joel chapter 3 is about. It's just that whether or not they will repent. Many people don't. Many are called, few choose. So that's just the way it is in the kingdom. But we're to be conformed to that image, back to what Douglas Knight described, where our lives now model that of God's life, and we join with God to bring about his goodness in this world. Isn't that exciting? Moving on to verse 31, it says, Who, uh, what, excuse me, what, Romans 8, 31 and 32, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In other words, if you're with God and God is for us, and he was in chapter one, the whole reason why God sent the locust plague is because God is for us. And he's trying to bring us to a place of repentance because he says, I'm coming. And when I come, it's not going to be pretty if you're not repenting. So repent. And they do. They're restored in chapter two of Joel's prophecy. And in Joel chapter three, then we're with God bringing about his goodness, seeking those who are still lost. But many will not repent, and therefore they're going to face the same justice and mercy. It's one coin, it's two, one side, heads and tails, two-sided coin. It's just one is, is mercy for those. The locust plague was merciful, an act of mercy upon God's people to give them a chance to repent but there are many that don't repent. And Joel chapter 3 is, is describing similarly what happens in the book of Revelation, where you don't find anyone repenting. You don't seem to find anyone repenting in the book of Revelation, and you don't find anybody repenting in Joel chapter 3, but that's what God seeks, as we talked about in Ezekiel. He does not want any to perish. He that spareth not his own son, God, did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. As a matter of fact, he delivered up for us all, but delivered us to us. And we end up putting him on the cross and we crucified him, amazingly so. These were God's people that said, 
you know, crucified. How shall he not with him in this amazing? How shall not God with him? So it's, again, God working with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, with us, also freely give us all things. And that's that restoration in Joel chapter 2 that he's talking about. And eventually we are going to be heaven and earth as one, is the way the Bible describes the end. Read the last chapters of Isaiah and read the last chapters of Revelation and you see the book of Revelation, how in the end it's heaven and earth is one and God is with us. (laughs) Emmanuel. (laughs) Amazing what's coming. Verse 34 then. Romans 8.34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Oh, my goodness. We just said the Holy Ghost is making intercession for us right here. And the Son is right at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And when we pray, we're praying to be in line with God's will. Where our prayers are to help us be conformed. Verse 29, our prayers are to help us to be conformed to Christ's image. So that when we pray, we're praying to God so that we hear from heaven in the word of God what we're supposed to do. And that what we're supposed to do is what, after all? We're supposed to align ourselves to be like Christ and be conformed to his image. Now, when we fail in that, we have Joel chapter 2. For anyone, as as First John says, anyone who sins, God is faithful and just. And First John one nine, the opposite of nine one one. And in today's world, we dial nine one one for emergency. Well, in the Bible, whenever a Christian falls, they dial one one nine. First John one nine. If you sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We just have to do a Joel chapter two repentance and a Joel chapter two restoration by God, and He puts us back on track. He heals us and uses us to bring his healing to others. And so Christ is praying perfect prayers for us. The Holy Ghost is praying perfect prayers for us. When we align ourselves with those prayers, with our life and our own prayers, and we bring about God's goodness in this world, that's what it's talking about. So Romans eight thirty-five through 39, Paul closes out the chapter, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And of course, that's the way it looks in this world. Because what? Sin brought death. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors. We're not going to conquer this world. We're above that. We're not here to conquer the world. We're here to heal the world. Through him that loved us, as Jesus taught love, love your enemies, love your brother, love your neighbors, love everybody. Nay, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's the love of God. He loved us, and now we are to take his love and give it away to everyone. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the powerful thing here. Taking now Romans chapter 8, in light of what we learned in Joel's prophecy of chapter 1, 2, and 3, is exciting. And I hope that you begin to catch that vision of what 
God is calling us to do. Now, we're going to continue our journey through Joel chapter 2 as we move forward in this series because we're not quite done yet, but this is kind of a way to look at in Romans 8 and how we should view our prayers and how we should be praying. We want to pray in one accord with all creation that's groaning. We ourselves are groaning against the evil in this world, but we're also wanting to bring God's healing. And so we're in line with the groanings of the Holy Ghost, which is back to Genesis 1-2, where the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness and brooded. And so we wanted to experience that new creation, and we want to be used by God to bring about new creation others. As we are filled with God's glory, when we are born again and receive the Holy Ghost, we also want to fill the whole earth with God's glory and let each person become a temple of the Holy Ghost. And this is all modeled right for us in Joel chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I needed you to see that so that you can see that the same thing that Joel was prophesying, Paul picks up in Romans 8. And he's saying the same thing. It's the same God with the same message to bring about justice, to restore all. Sinner, to be healed, no longer sinning, but also restoring what has sin has done, the death that sin has brought, getting that restored so victims can receive justice, not just to punish the guilty, but so that they can be restored and for the, the person who perpetrated it to be restored. And this is the, the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ in such a powerful way. And I hope you got that today. God bless you. We look forward to connecting with you again. We hope you enjoyed this broadcast. You can find out more about us at dken.cc. That's D-K-E-N dot C-C. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you.